Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to see you all again. Um, I think the, since the last time I've seen you, myself and Linda have been to Israel. Um, we've been to Mozambique after the cyclone out there helping out. And we were in uh, Malawi, in Blanter, which was also hit by the cyclone. And um, we sent some people out to Zimbabwe, which was also hit very badly. So we were out there for a couple of weeks, and we were able to see many things. We had some time with uh, about 40 or 50 pastors, and we were able to minister to them. And then we were able to um, get a small plane and bring some aid to people who were cut off from um, the main aid agencies. And we worked with some people out there, which was a great place. And I suppose you know Heidi Baker. Yeah, so we met Heidi Baker when we were out there. So we, we went to her place, which is a massive big school and an orphanage. And it's a massive church. It's, a, it's literally just a roof. It has no walls. And it's just a steel church with a roof on it. And I don't know, it sits a couple of thousand people. Um, that's in a strong Muslim area. So they're doing an amazing work out there. And now she told us that she's actually building the first Christian university in the whole of Africa. So that's amazing what she's doing out there. So that kind of brings you up to date. Um, I haven't been out preaching too much. I was in, um, do you remember this sermon I preached here on healing? And we prayed for some people and some people got healed. Well, I went to Derby and I've, I've preached that sermon in Crawley, Elam. And I've preached it in um, Scotland. And a lady got healed from a wheelchair in James Glass's church. Asked him about her when he comes. Incredible healing. She was confined to a wheelchair. God healed her. And it was great because we went even there when God healed her because we'd left because it was getting late and she was being ministered to for about 45 minutes and, and we left. We wanted to get a curry before we went home. And so on the way out, she said that the Lord spoke to her and she was, should have been in the wheelchair, but she was pushing the wheelchair and trying to walk and she was in a lot of pain. And the Lord spoke to her and said, tip your toes. And she said, Lord, I can't tip my toes. And the Lord said to her, you can do anything I tell you to do. So she tipped her toes and she was instantly healed. Isn't that incredible? And then I went up to um, Derby. And whilst we were in Derby, a lady came up, which was amazing. And she said, you were here two years ago. Do you remember praying for me? I said, I I don't really. I said, maybe vaguely. I said, what was it? And she had a little baby. She said, I couldn't have children. And I thought, look at that. You have a baby. She said, no. And she looked and she had twins <laughs> as well, a boy and a girl. And she said that um, after she got prayed for, three months later, she found out she was, she was pregnant. Isn't that incredible? No, she's married, so everything is fine. <laughs> you know, and it's just a great miracle. And I tell you that to encourage you because God still heals today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, you know, the more we pray for people, the more likely it is for people to get healed. And it's not just people like me coming along. It's your own pastor. It's your own neighbor. It's your own person sitting beside you. If you just reach out in faith and begin to pray and minister in the power of God to each other. Okay, I'm going to read a scripture for you. Um, Thanks, Kevin, the elders, and, and for having us. Um, it's great to be here, as I said. And, um, you know, we have a great connection with you guys, and you've been supporting us prayerfully and other ways for years, and we really appreciate that. So, Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? 
His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They should mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isn't it incredible that the Lord who created the heavens and the earth... I'm just reading, anybody ever hear of Louis Gigolo? You know, he does all this stuff about the earth and the planets, and it's incredible because the Bible says they've just found a new star system, and there's like 100 billion stars in the star system. Isn't it incredible the size of this creation? And yet the Word of God says that God threw the stars into the sky from the palm of his hand. It's incredible to get an understanding of the majesty and just the incredible glory of God. The glory is so much so that 24-7, every day of the year, of the week, of the month, every day there's a constant worship going on in heaven. And they're worshiping God. And there's so much they can say about God, but the Bible says all they say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They've discovered through telescopes that the stars omit pulses. They omit pulses, galaxies. And the Bible says that even the stars worship the Lord. So as the stars are just up there glowing, they're worshiping the Lord. And in the midst of this greatness, God knows and loves us intimately. He knows how many hairs there is on our heads. He, he wants us to spend time with him. And those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I read a book at the moment. Well, I read books the way I watch TV. So I'm reading about six or seven books. So I pick up, read a couple of pages, then I flick to another book. And I, I do that. I've, I've always done that. Um, but one of the books that I'm looking at is um, The Spirit of the Python by Jetson Franklin. And it's all about this idea that God put into his head that um, the devil is like a python. You know, the Bible says he's, he's a snake. We know that. And he talks about a python. What a python does is he squeezes the life out of you. That's how a, a python kills its prey. It wraps itself around and it squeezes the life out of us. And I believe that's what the devil does. He wants to squeeze the life of Jesus out of us. Just constant pressing. And that comes through discouragement. It comes through sin. It, 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 it comes through his lies. It comes through his demonic advances against their life. And all the time, the devil just wants to do one thing to you, and that's squeeze the life of Christ out of you. He doesn't even care about your life. It's the life of Christ in you that he wants to squeeze out of you. And when we look around today, we see many people are weary. We see people in the church are weary. We see pastors in the church are weary. A, a couple of uh, months ago, I took some time off because I was just weary. I was tired. I felt I was burned out. And I just felt that I needed time to renew and to refresh not only my body, but my spirit. And when I look around today in the church, I see that very often people are weary. And it's, it's the devil squeezing the life of Christ out of us. You know, when I was in Nepal at the, after the earthquake a couple of years ago, I went out there for six weeks. And whilst I was out there, it was really interesting. Um, 
because when we were talking to people, um, the Nepalese are Buddhists, or sorry, Hindus, and they have millions of God, gods. And there's one place in Nepal, in Kathmandu, and it's a massive place, and you know, it, it, it's, it's just on a, a mountain, and they reckon there's somewhere between three million effigies of God in that place. And so you have monkey gods, you have um, cows, yeah, and everything. And so one of the things have, what they do is, everywhere you go, from the size of this little table here, it would be a little shrine, and then there would be a little effigy of a god, and they would leave food there, and there's a little bell, and the reason why there's a bell there is because you ring the bell before you pray to make sure the god is awake before you pray. And so one of the questions we were asked when we were there is that the gods live in these temples, but the main temples fell down during the earthquake. So the big question, the crisis of faith for them was where does God live? And the word that God gave me when I was going over is that God no longer dwells in man-made temples. And God doesn't live in them temples. And, and you know, the other word that I, I, I gave to a lot of people was that air God and it's in... Psalm, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel should neither slumber nor sleep. I don't have to ring a bell to go into the presence of God because he never sleeps and he never slumbers. Isn't that good news? That God is constantly watching over each and every one of us. And the God who created the heaven and the earth, who when he lived on the mountain, the mountain was unapproachable. And if you put your foot in that mountain, you would die. You know, I, 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 there's a few stories in the Bible that um, really I think about, and they're quite ironic. And one of them is the guy who thought he was going to help out God. Remember the guy who was walking along and he was carrying the gift, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And it says that it lost its footing and it looked like the covenant box was going to fall and he touched it so it wouldn't fall and he fell down dead. Isn't that an incredible story? And so the reason why I tell you that is because we, as the people of God, because of the work of Jesus, we have an open invitation to spend with God any time we want. Isn't that incredible? And let's face it, folks, let's be honest. We don't take up that invitation nearly as much as we should. And that's why many of us are weary. Because it says, those who wait upon the Lord shall not grow weary. And that's, where, that's why we're weary. Because even as a pastor, I find myself running after the things of God rather than running after God himself. I'm very often looking for the hand of God rather than the face of God. And God wants us to come and to sit in his presence. And when we sit in the presence of the living God, it says that they shall mount up with wings like eagles. When I was in Haiti after the earthquake, for the very first time in my life, I seen a hummingbird. Anybody ever see a hummingbird? The tiny they're one of the smallest birds. They're literally that size. They're like a little butterfly, but they're perfectly created like a bird. And one of the things about a hummingbird is it has to eat constantly because its wings are constantly and constantly flapping. Whereas if you look at an eagle, an eagle is very different. 
he glides and he soars on the winds. And they can do that for literally hours. And they don't grow tired and they don't go weary because they're gliding. And that's what God wants to do for us. As we sit in the presence of the Lord, God wants us to lift, be lifted up as, as wings as eagles. It says even young people grow weary. What about the old people like me? You know, it depends what, what age you are, the response you get when you're old. And so I'm 55, and for some people you're thinking, that's not old. But for some of these young kids, it's like, man, oh, man, he's ancient. You know, how is he still alive, like 55 years old, you know? You know, the 13 years old looking at this ancient of days here. But, you know, the truth is, even young people grow tired. And God gives us the answer to our weariness. Those who wait upon the Lord. There's a great story in the New Testament that really helps us illustrate the importance. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. And we know the story. Most of us know the story. So Jesus is ministering in the area of Galilee. And he is going around preaching the kingdom of God. And Martha comes out to him and says, my home is your home. She didn't invite him in for a meal. She opened up her house. This is Middle Eastern hospitality. That meant that not only Jesus, but his companions, so anything up to 12 or maybe 15 people with Jesus, and she said, come and my house is open. Come and make my home your home. And that's what they did. And when they went in, so that meant that she had to wash their feet she had to clean up. She had to prepare all the food. She had to serve all the food. That was all part of hospitality. And that was expected when you invited somebody into your home. So Martha comes straight into the home and she immediately sets about doing the work to fulfill her promise to Jesus that they could come and eat with him. But Mary, on the other hand, goes and sits at the foot of Jesus. Now, that's a lovely picture, but actually, it's a picture which shouldn't have happened because Jesus was a rabbi, and only disciples sat at the foot of rabbis, and women weren't allowed to be disciples. So there's lots of stuff going on here. Not only is this culturally not acceptable, but it's also that Jesus is breaking culture himself because Jesus is demonstrating, therefore, there's no, there's no male and female in Christ. So as Mary is sitting there, Martha is getting angry. She's getting annoyed. She burst in and she said, Jesus, don't you care? Isn't it amazing that even though Jesus died on the cross for us, that as soon as something goes wrong, we start off by saying, Lord, don't you care? Because that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to believe that God doesn't care about your life, that he's not interested in what's happening, that you're on your own, and that the life has been squares out of you, and there's nothing you can do. That's what the devil wants you to believe. But you can come and sit at the foot of Jesus. So Martha bursts in and says, Lord, don't you care, you know, as she's sitting down, look at all this work to be done. And then Jesus responds in, in, in a loving way, says, Martha, Martha. He said, there is many things recognizing 
There is many things. Folks, there's many things in this life that needs to be done. We have to get up. We have to go to work. We have to look after our family. We know we have to take care of our house. We have to take care of our, our, our um, cars and all the other things. We have to get our children to school. There is many things in life that needs to be done. But then Jesus says, but Mary has chosen the best thing. Isn't that incredible? And then he says, she's chosen the only thing. So what Jesus is saying is, in the midst of everything, in the midst of culture, in the midst of what we know we should be doing and looking after ourselves, all of these things, but Jesus is still saying that the best thing to do above everything else in life is to sit at my feet. And I was thinking about this, and I'm not saying this to get a laugh out of you. Um, I've been looking at this for the past a couple of months now, and one of the questions that I have about that verse is, What's it like in the 21st century to sit at the foot of Jesus? How does that work? You know, how can we look? And and I just have a little few thoughts before I close on that. First of all, it's intentional. It's a choice. Don't pray, Lord, please give me a heart to seek after you. That's not God's job. That's your job. That's my job. My desire, my heart should be above everything else, above all the legitimate things that's taken place in my life. I need to intentionally make room that I sit at the foot of Jesus. And for me, do you know what that is? Because, you know, in ministry, it, it's, it, you know, you guys who minister will notice. One of the problems that I have in ministry is we have God, we have the church, and we have my relationship with God. And very often, I don't know what them three circles are like. Because sometimes if I go to a conference, I'm going to a conference a couple of weeks in Cardiff, and I'm really going to find out about how our church can grow. You know, so it's not a personal thing. Very often I'm reading scripture, I'm studying scripture, but I'm reading and studying scripture for sermons. You know, I was in a key a while ago with Linda, and we walked around and said, oh, look at that, that's brilliant. And I said, that wouldn't fit in our house. I said, no, it's for the church. You know, and so it's, it's not a thing that you just switch off. And so you go to a conference, and you hear a great sermon, and very often I don't go away and meditate and think about that sermon. Very often I'm thinking, I could preach something from that sermon to bring something to the people of God. And so I had to begin to think, what is it for me to sit at the foot of Jesus? And at the moment, for the past couple of months, for me to sit at the foot of Jesus, to be intentional, I intentionally joined a leisure club and I go three or four times a week and in that club they have a sauna they have a gym which I use but they have a sauna and they have a, a, a steam room and they have a jacuzzi and it's in a, a, a wooded area there's no phone reception so the minute I drive in I lose my phone reception and for me at the moment sitting at the foot of Jesus is sitting in that jacuzzi looking at the trees I'm not praying for church I'm not looking for sermons I'm talking to God. I'm wanting to be meditating on God. And I was getting uh, all um, worried and a little bit anxious about something that's coming up. And I'm thinking, God, how's going to happen? And how, you know, where's the finance going to come from? The, and, and as I was sitting there, I just felt that psalm come to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And I didn't go looking for sermons. I didn't start preaching it. I, st- I didn't even 
continue it. I meditated on that verse. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. I'm thinking, yes, I won't be in want. Lord, you are my shepherd. I don't, I've never been in want in my life. Why would I get anxious about it now? Why would I begin to think, oh, this is the time that I need it most, that God is going to fail me? Because that's what we do, isn't it? You know, it's interesting. The people of Israel, they made altars. You know what the altar was? To celebrate and to remember what had taken place. So when they walked through the, the sea, and um, they picked up stones out of the sea. And then they carried them around with them. And children would come up and say, what's that stone for? said, we took that stone out of the sea. How did you get it in the sea? No, that was when it was dried up because God held the waters on either side. And that was when the people left and, and the exodus and we left. That's what an altar does. You celebrate something and you remember something. And we need to have those altars in our life that we remember and celebrate when God does miracles. And then when we come up to the next opportunity to get a miracle from God, we think, yes, God, you have taken us through this. You have provided us. I mean, one of the reasons I tell people about healings, and I could tell you about many, not for you to think, oh, you know, God uses Christy. No, I want to testify and give glory to God. I mean, one of the things that I said to the woman's past, I mean, she was hugging me, she was hugging Linda, I mean, the children were beautiful, but the first thing I said to um, the pastor is, why didn't she give a testimony? She was barren for 10 years, and now she's pregnant, why didn't she get up and give a testimony? Not to me, I don't need to, don't even say Christy prayed, it's not who prays that does the healing, it's God, it doesn't matter who prays, the Bible says that God can use a donkey, and some of the sermons I've heard in the past, I, can, <laughs> I agree. So what is it like to sit at the front foot of Jesus? Well, as I say, first and foremost, it's intentional. It's not going to happen. Because one of the things, even as a pastor, as soon as I decide that I'm going to sit at the foot of Jesus, it's like a devil or a demon sends up a smoke signal. The phone rings, the doorbell rings, somebody wants to see me, something has to be done. Oh, don't forget, you have to do this today. Don't forget, you have to do that. That's why it has to be intentional. You, you, you won't do it unless you say, I'm going to do it, this is when I'm going to do it, this is how I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it every day. The other times, yes, you can walk around talking to God. I pray a lot in the car. I listen to a lot of worship in the car. But there's something different about making a decision intentionally to sit at the foot of Jesus and say, God, this is me and you time now. I'm sitting at your feet. I want to hear from you. I, I need to hear from you. I want to be able to know what you're doing and what you're saying. I want you giving me the stuff that I need so can, I can be the person that you want me to be. Because as soon as, as I say, if you don't make it an intentional, it will be interrupted. And everybody is looking for your attention when you're going to sit at the feet of Jesus. So it should be intentional because it will be interrupted. But what you do need to understand is that as you do this, you will develop an intimacy with Jesus. You can't develop intimacy with Jesus driving along, speaking in tongues in your car. You can't do it on Sunday morning with the people of God. Intimacy is a private thing, isn't it? Closeness, you do that in private. Yeah, you can hold your wife's hand and you can, you know, 
put your arm around that. But real, true intimacy comes in private. And God wants us to be sitting at his feet so that we will renew our strength. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You know, it's interesting. Um, when you're in, in Israel, and I've been there four times now. I hope to be gone in a couple of weeks. And so when you're in Israel on Friday morning, Thursday night, things start to get a little bit faster. You just notice people start to walk faster. Friday morning, people start to rush. Friday lunchtime, because Shabbat is coming, people are frantic. They're running around. All the shops are selling out bread because they all have bread and all the wine and everything you need for Shabbat. All the, the, um, all the companies are starting to close. The restaurants have these pre-Shabbat meals because... They close as soon as it comes down. Everything closes for 24 hours. There's very few cars on the road. Public transport closes. Everything in Jerusalem closes down. And by just like 4 o'clock, just before Shabbat kicks in, people are absolutely frantic. They're literally running to get indoors. Because if you live in an apartment building, you can't press the lift. You can't operate your car. If a door is an electric door, you can't touch it. If you've run out of petrol, you can't go to the station. If you have no bread, you can't buy anything. You can't do any business. Everything comes to a close. And it's really interesting. The next day, everybody comes out rested. And the place literally, at sundown, the place literally just tens of thousands of people. They all go out to the restaurants. They're all walking with the families and everybody's happy. And it's interesting because the Bible says, make every effort to enter into God's rest. It's an effort to get into the presence of God. It's an effort to put yourself in that place. You know, you know the, the, the scripture where they said they broke down the ceiling and they lowered the man down, the cripple. And it says... They put him right in front of Jesus. And I use that as, a, as an illustration for um, what you've prayed for. As the people of God, the greatest gift we can do, the greatest friend we can be to anybody is to put him right in front of Jesus. But that's even more important for ourselves, that we would intentionally put ourselves in front of Jesus. And I was brought up, um, I got saved in 80s, so the 90s, the big thing was um, quiet times. Everybody was talking about quiet times. Did you have a quiet time, quiet time, quiet But it became a legalistic thing. And I remember in Bible college sitting in my quiet time, looking at the clock, <laughs> you know, to do my hour of prayer, my hour of power, and then your day was going to be fine. And, and you'd see some people, and you say, okay, so no, I, I'm having a terrible day. Everything has gone against me, but it's my own fault because I didn't have my quiet time. And that became a legalistic thing. This wasn't legalistic for Mary. She wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. She wanted to get close to him. She wanted to hear his words of wisdom and of love and affirmation. And she needed to be in the presence of Jesus. 
And if we want to overcome our weariness, even as young people, if we want to, it says, even the young fail and grow faint. If we want to run and not grow weary, it needs to come out of a deep, intentional, uninterrupted, intimate time in our life with Jesus. Every day, every moment we get a chance that we want to spend time. Because as I said, I started off by saying, when we begin to read about the glory of God, the question I have to ask myself is, why wouldn't I want that? Come to me, all who are heaven laden, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And what do we do? We run to the doctor. I went to the doctor about six months ago. I, probably a mixture of burnout and um, post-stress um, trauma. I've 20 years as a chaplain. I've done every major earthquake, every war. You, you know, I've just the list. We've actually, me and Linda have counted, we've been to 50 countries in the past 20 years serving the Lord. And some of them, like Haiti, very emotionally and spiritually um, draining. And so I went to the doctor. Um, I was, wasn't feeling myself at all. And I went to the doctor, and they said to me, well, how are you doing? How can I help you? I said, well, I'm feeling a bit down. I'm not normally like this. And um, the doctor says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor, but I'm also an re- emergency responder. And she says, what does that entail? I said, well, I've done the Glenfell Tower. I've done the terrorist attacks. I've done earthquakes. I go there and I talk to people, all of this stuff, the Manchester bombings. And she said, okay, I'm going to put you on antidepressants for six months. And I said, no. I know I'm not against antidepressants if somebody is on them. It's your doctor. My problem was... She couldn't have diagnosed me in three minutes. <laughs> Second of all, she's not a psychiatrist, she's a doctor. And so I said, no, I'd prefer not to. Um, so I thought, you know what? I went, I Googled it, spoke to a couple of friends, went to see a Christian counselor, took some rest, read a few books, applied biblical truths to my life, and one of them was waiting on the foot of Jesus. And probably within a six-month period, there was an incredible turnaround and just an incredible difference of the way I'm feeling, the way I'm thinking. And it all comes out of what God was speaking to me during those times. That the ministry was more important than God. That the things of the ministry, I was chasing the things of the ministry rather than chasing after God. Let me just qualify that. If you have had to take antidepressants and that, I, I understand it's a medical problem. It's clinical, so don't in any way feel guilty or bad. For me, I just knew that at that time, it wasn't right for me. And so, as we're pursuing God and seeking God and all these things, it's amazing that we have this open invitation. That's why Jesus tore the curtain from the top to the bottom. You know, when you begin, it's really interesting when you go to Israel, you begin to see things in a different light. And one of the things about Israel is that it's just religion. They have to obey 631 laws. So in their life, don't do this, don't look at this, don't touch this, don't move that. 631 laws. That's above um, the commandments that God gives them. And all of this is to try in some way get God's attention. attention. And yet Jesus says, you and I have an open door. You can come and be in my presence My spirit lives in you. In the four main festivals, 
in for the Jewish people. And one of them, they're all prescribed what you say and what you do. And it's really interesting in the worship. And it says that Jesus, in the festival of lights, that Jesus was in the temple. And that's where everybody was. And it says he left the temple and he went to the pool of Basada, which is, you can do it. I actually did it last time I was there. You walk down the steps and you walk around and there's the, where the pools was. And within those pools, there was a crippled, remember? And Jesus said to him, are you not healed? He said, no, because when the water's still, no one can pick him. He said, pick up your mind. And he healed him. That place is where all the sick people used to go, all the people weary, all the people who weren't clean enough to go into the temple. I find it amazing that Jesus left the place of worship to be in a place of weariness, of sickness. And he changed everything in healing that man. And throughout Scripture, we see that everybody who was brought to Jesus says, says he healed them. In Capernaum, you, you stand where they believe Peter's mother-in-law's house was. And remember, Jesus went into the house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And it says, and then they brought hundreds of people to the door. And everybody who was sick, who were brought to Jesus, he healed them. That's the presence of Jesus. We see that. And we have an open invitation. If we want, we can spend our whole day in the presence of God. And yet for some of us, we've allowed the interruptions of this life. We've allowed the distractions of this life. And we're weary and we can't walk and we can't run because we're faint. And you know what, folks? The truth is, and, and this is not an accusation, maybe this is not for you guys, but the truth is a lot of Christians are weary, but they still can watch TV all day. A lot of Christians are weary, but they can still do all the other things because the devil wants to squeeze the life of God out of us, and the stuff that we get weary for is prayer. It's healing. Spending time with Christ. Evangelism. We're weary about doing evangelism. You know, when I got saved first, it was just, it was just a natural thing. He just went around telling people, I'm a Christian now. You can be a Christian too. But now, you know, as a pastor, I have to do a six-week course. I have to equip everybody. Then I have to tell them where to go and how to do it. Because we're weary. You might be different. Our prayer meeting is the smallest prayer meeting the smallest meeting we have in the church. Our evangelistic team, it's the smallest team we have in the church. Maybe other than the tea rota. <laughs> Churches are the same everywhere. <laughs> you, you know, you think everyone else is different. We're the same everywhere. The same problems, the same situations. We need to spend more time with Jesus. It needs to be intentional. The devil will try to interrupt it. But if you continue you will develop an intimacy and a closeness with God. And every time you do it, remind yourself, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will run and not be faint. Amen?